You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. As I was thinking about some themes of what to share today, uh, I love heroes, and, you know, I love time with my family and one thing we've been going through. You guys are probably thinking, all you guys do is watch, like, TV and movies because you're always talking about references to different things. We do a little bit of that. We also eat and we pray, and, but um, we, we, we've been getting, one of the things I'm really excited about, we've been getting into the Marvel series now, which the kids, I just don't think they were that uh, excited about a few years ago. Now they're all in, right? They're like, why is there so many phases? This goes on forever. But churning our, our way through the movies uh, and, you know, obviously you got DC. Some of you, you're really vigilant about DC or Marvel. I'm, I'm equal opportunity. I love everyone, right? I love it all. Star Wars. But there's this idea of the heroes. And, and who are the heroes? Who are some of the anti-heroes? Who are the heroes in need of redemption? You see their story arc. And, and I, I like to think through some of that lens, even as I think about the scriptures and some of the different people were given as persons put before us to look at as maybe we could describe them as some of our heroes, people who are given prominent places in the story of God. And one chapter in particular, and if you have your phone or your Bible, you can turn to it. We're going to look a little bit at Hebrews chapter 11. Um, It's one of the chapters that's famously called, some people describe it as a hall of faith, or maybe we can describe them as the heroes of faith. It lists off different people who we can learn from as we look at their faith. And again, there are heroes, but here, I'm I'm just prepping you ahead of time. As we look into a few of these, we're not going to look at the whole thing. We're going to see that there was some real good associated with some of these folks. I mean, they're listed in the, the line of people of faith, but there was also some failure. And I I want to look at that a little bit today is this failure shadow because the scriptures, one thing I love about the Bible, and I don't know how familiar you are with the scriptures. Maybe it's brand new to you. Maybe this is your first time here and, and you're just exploring the Bible. I'm really glad because contrary to sometimes what we think about the Bible, that it's like an instruction manual or how you can, you know, it's a, a, pathway to, I mean, those things aren't wrong, but it really tells a story. And this story is raw. It's unflinchingly real to the point that some of the stories we probably couldn't read here with younger generations because I might get arrested. I mean, it's, it's like really raw and real stuff. And, but we see the stories of faith. So um, a few examples, Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 8. We read of one of these heroes, and his name's Abraham. And it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. So just this incredible story of this man, Abraham. And we know him, and we looked at this series last year, right? The life of Abraham, a man of faith. If you want to embody faith in the scriptures, there's really no one better than Abraham. And it describes here, he listened to God say, go. And what did Abraham do? He went. He obeyed. Even though he didn't know where he was going. So Abraham was, he was a guy who trusted God. And there's a lot to learn from there. Um, But Abraham was also a man familiar with failure. 
If you want to keep your finger or your bookmark there, and you can just listen, but there's a story that describes some of Abraham's adventures, and this is in Genesis chapter 12. Very early after God has called him, in verse 10 says, there was a famine in the land. So Abram, this is his name before he was changed to Abram. Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Please say you're my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. Um, Abraham and Sarai, they needed to come to our marriage foundations because they, they got some stuff going on. Um, when, when, I'll just put this out for the ladies. If you're with a guy and he's telling you, hey, can you pretend to be my sister? Because you look real good looking. And if they find out you're my wife, they're going to chop off my head so that they... Like, there's some troublesome stuff going on here. But we see that um, Abraham, as much as he's known as a man of faith... He was also very much ruled by his fear. And maybe some of us can identify with that. You've done or said things, even if you know it's not right, because you're scared. Whether you're scared of situations, you're scared of people. And and we see later in this chapter, because of Abraham's lies, the people, they don't think uh, Sarah's his wife. They, They think it's his sister, so they take her to be their wife. And God gives them plagues because of Abraham. And, and the, here's the real challenging part. Right before this story, God has given Abraham these amazing blessings to say, you're going to be blessed, but it's so that you can be a blessing to other people. Who you bless, they'll be blessed. And whom you curse, they're going to be cursed. And Abraham has a tremendous responsibility for those around him. But again, rather than being led by faith, he's ruled by fear. And and he forgets that he's been called for a purpose to be a blessing. He falls into self-preservation mode. And he creates a horrible situation that could have been really, really bad for these Egyptians. One of our biggest heroes, if we're doing felt characters, some of you, you got trauma associated with felt characters, right? You grew up in that. Like, he got a real big felt character. This is one of the really well-known guys. He's one of the biggest pillars of faith in the scriptures, but he was marked by a constant failure of fear. He had a difficult time trusting God's promises. God spoke to him audibly. If any of you feel like you have a hard time trusting God, I don't recommend doing this, but in your mind, you go, well, Abraham, he heard from God and still he, he couldn't trust him. He was always trying to like find ways around it, trying to manipulate situations. And this was a consistent pattern throughout his life. Here's the crazy thing. If you read further in Genesis, he does the same exact thing with his wife. They go to another place and he does the same thing. Yo, Sarah, I know you're getting a little older, but yo, you're still real beautiful. So can you pretend to be my sister? And if I'm Sarah, I'm thinking, come on, dude. Seriously, don't you remember what happened with the Egyptians? We're doing this again. But that was one of our heroes. Marked by fear. Marked by lack of faith. Another one of the big, big heroes 
If you got Abraham, if, you, if I would say, what's another big Old Testament character? Some of you would say Moses. I mean, Moses. They, written, they made like movies about Moses. That's like, that's epic. Cartoons and live action. And we read about him here in, in verse 24 of, cha- of chapter 11. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. So again, big hero. I mean, he could have stayed a prince of Egypt, right? He could have been royalty. He could have been comfortable, but he chose to follow God, to be obedient to God, and and that's epic. And if that's all you know about the story, you're like, whoa, man, there's no better person to emulate than Moses. I mean, he's big time. But what we learn is that Moses, his life was also marked by failure, by different failures. There's one story in Numbers 20, and Moses was the leader of the people. They did that whole walk through water thing. God split the water. They escaped Egypt, freed from slavery, went into the desert. And, and you would think if you're free, you're good now, right? You're happy. You're never going to complain again. But these people were constantly grumbling, constantly complaining, constantly they hungry and they thirsty. And some of you have been on road trips with kids. You fully identify with Moses, right? When's the food? Where's the snacks? Yo, we just ate 30 minutes ago. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I got to go to the bathroom. And, and the people complaining, constantly criticizing Moses. And there's one story where they're thirsty. And when you got thirsty people, it doesn't matter how spiritual everything is, how audible God is. That's all you feel. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. They're probably like some of us. Like, we're not literally going to die. I'm going to die. If I know you're not going to die. you got at least 30 minutes left. I'm going to die. But God says, okay, I'll provide water at this rock. But Moses, he like some of us. He got some anger issues. He like me, at least. I'll, I won't put that all on you. He got, he's like me. He got anger issues. He got a short temper. He's like, you want water? Here's your water. He gets his staff, boom, hits the rock. And here's where it probably went back. Boom, hits it twice. And water does come forth. And you would think everyone's happy. But here's what the Lord said after that happened in verse 12 of Numbers 20. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. What he was saying is, uh, the promised land that they were going towards, Moses, because you did this, you don't get to enter the promised land. You're gonna, I'll, I'll give you a glimpse of it, but from the other side of the boundary, you don't get to enter with everyone else. And we, we don't really talk about that part a lot, that one of the biggest heroes, Moses, he didn't get to finish the path that God had given because of some of his sin. Some of his failure. And we hear so many other stories along with Abraham and Moses. Uh, Verse 32 in Hebrews 11. It describes some more. So what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, 
escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. I mean, some tremendous characters. Like, they up there with the Avengers. These are like crazy, powerful uh, people of faith, heroes. But we also see there's a shadow side. There's some failure involved when we get to know almost all of them. But let's, I mean, let's focus on David. If we're looking at the big three in the Old Testament, that's probably there, right? Abraham, Moses, and David. I mean, David, he was a good man. He was described as a man after God's own heart. He was courageous in faith. He fighting giants, Goliaths. I mean, he's truly a hero. If you need to emulate someone in the scriptures, you can't go wrong with David. But David had some failure too. And it's described, I, I want to read a few verses from 2 Samuel chapter 11. And this is when David was a little older. And it says, in the spring when kings march out, David sent Joab and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her, and he said, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hethite? David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards, she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, informed David, I am pregnant. David, uh, I mean, you think you had a bad 2022? David had a real bad, bad, few, bad time here. And like probably a lot of us have done, when you know you've done something wrong, you try to clean up the mess you made. You try to be clever, try to, try to maybe rationalize, try to work things out. So he tried to clean it up. And we, we read how he cleans it up. In verse 14, the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter he wrote, put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. Because earlier he had invited Uriah to come and he wanted him to spend time with his wife so that everyone put one-on-one -on -one together. Okay, well, Uriah is a dad. Great! But Uriah was such an honorable man, he couldn't stay with his wife when he knew the rest of his homies were off at war. So David's like, what are we supposed to do? Okay, tell Uriah, put him at the front of the battle so that he'll be in the fiercest fighting and that he might be struck down. When, jo jo when Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in a place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab, and some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hittite also died. I told you, right? This is like, this is like unfiltered stuff here. And, and this is a tragic story no matter, um, no matter what the setting. But I think when you recognize who's involved, it really even puts into focus some of the darkness involved. Because Uriah... When David was a fugitive earlier on in his life, when he was on the run, uh, he had a group of friends who were put around him, who came around him, literally mighty men who defended him. And one of those mighty men was Uriah. 
Uriah was a man who put his life on the line for his king, for David. So David owed his life to this guy. How much more heartbreaking than what he does to Uriah? I mean, David just willingly and recklessly broke like half the commandments. I mean, he just went nuts here, right? He, he, he sees this beautiful woman, and though he knows she's married, he covets another man's wife. He knowingly commits adultery with her. He, he makes and manipulates the story, and, and he lies about what really happened. He kills this brave, honorable soldier. He imposes his will upon this woman. And to top it all off, he steals this man's wife. Here's the thing, if you didn't know this was from the Bible and you just heard of this story, maybe in another country, you would, you would be horrified. If you, if you read this story without knowing the rest of the Bible, you would think that we were reading a description of one of the villains of the Bible. You'd be thinking, yo, pastor must be telling us about some of the bad guys and who not to be like, right? Like this has got to be one of God's enemies, Abraham, Moses, these are bad dudes, just horrible. And, and I, I, we could go on and on. Like, but I hope you're seeing the pattern. This book, it's kind of crazy. It's why I love it. I love it so much because it's kind of crazy because all our good guys are bad guys. It's all mixed up. All of the people we're supposed to look towards as heroes, they're kind of zeros. They're terrible. I mean, we talk about anti-heroes like Snape got nothing on the Bible, right? It's like, these are true anti-heroes. And it's a reminder for us that the Christian faith is not primarily about how you should live your life so that God blesses you. I mean, there's some of that, but it's actually that God persistently gives favor to people who are not asking for it, people who are not seeking it. God mysteriously continues to bless people that you and I would like shake our head and wonder why, why he's doing that. He shows favor to people whose lives are marked by a lot of failure. Some of it that would seem to disqualify you permanently. And some of that failure, it's, it's from the hands of others. It's a more innocent kind of failure. Like life has gotten really bad because of other people. But some of that failure is by our own hands. Like that's what we see throughout the scriptures. And, you know, as I was thinking about the new year, um, maybe some of us, and you may be the type A personalities in the room, you love new year because you're thinking about all the new things you can accomplish and you've been dreaming about the new year to come. You're sick of all the, like, sentimental holiday stuff and you want to hit the new year running and get everything done. Finally do that thing to your house. Finally achieve that thing at work. Whatever it might be. But I think maybe some of us, and maybe, maybe, maybe I'm projecting, but maybe some of us, you do a lot of reflecting. You do a lot of soul searching. Maybe some failure comes to mind. Maybe you look back on 2022 or even previously. You think about some of the things that didn't go the way you were hoping they would. Whether just because it's life or maybe you had a part in it. And maybe if you're there, maybe if you feel like you sit in failure shadow, um, how is failure echoed in your soul? 
Maybe for some of us it's professional, like your aspirations have not gone the way that you would have planned out. The life course does seem so certain. Again, either it was situations out of your hands or maybe you did something or didn't do something that's made you take a certain kind of detour. Things didn't happen the way you were hoping. Maybe it's spiritual failure. Maybe you've made commitments. You said, this time it's going to be different. This time I'm really going to get through that, that one-year Bible reading. And you hit like a Leviticus, like all of us. And you're like, all right, I'll skip to the New Testament. Or whatever it might be. Or maybe it's a little bit deeper. It's not things you do, but in your heart, you're like, this time I'm really going to respond to the Lord's favor and his love. And there's going to be affection. And if you're like a lot of us, you're just on the ground crawling. You're like, how am I going to make this? Maybe some of us, our failure, it's attached to relational things. Maybe we attach it to family relationships, loved ones, enemies, frenemies, well, whoever it might be, relationships that not have, have not gone the way, enmity, strife. For some of us, maybe failure is not like a specific moment, but it's just like a state of being. It's like a feeling of what you're sitting in. It's like nothing specific has happened. But if, if you can identify with any of that, um, I want to encourage you, maybe some of us have sat in that shadow of failure and, and maybe we haven't been able to move forward in it. And maybe it's your past, maybe a very immediate past, but it haunts you. And you hear these taunting voices to say, you will never be more than fill in the blank of your failure. Um, I remember uh, reading a story of a well-known actor. And he was on one of these shows that they traced your ancestry like, they have a lot of tools out there right now. They traced your ancestry. And he found out that he was actually the descendant of slave owners. And he was horrified because he didn't envision himself that way. And he asked if that could be scrubbed from his profile. Like, can you remove that from my story? And, and it just resonated with me because I think, a lot of us, we might have actually seemed to move on from some of our different failures, but perhaps our mechanism for addressing failure, it's been to just work harder at scrubbing the past or scrubbing those things that bring up memories or scrubbing relationships or deleting things and pretending like they never happened or compensating or, or justifying whatever it might be. Maybe it's to prove to yourself or, or to others that if we become accomplished enough or if we get disciplined enough or maybe if we can create the perfect family, I know that's a big one. Some, some of us, like, there's someone with relational brokenness. I get a whole chance with this family. If I can just make this one the one that I wish I would have had. Or whatever we can do so that no one can define us as a failure but here's a challenge. Even as we do those things, and some of it's not bad, there's a sense that we're not fully free. We're, maybe we're driven, we're motivated, but it's possibly by fear, guilt, shame. Because it's this idea that if we can just do enough, if we can just be enough, if we can just accomplish enough, we can remove the imprint of failure from our lives. But here's the tough news. It's really not enough. And it's actually really exhausting to try to do that. But freedom, 
is that you can be honest about what's happened in your life. You can step out of failure's shadow. You can actually address those parts of your life honestly. Maybe if it's relationally tied, you can, you can own real hurt in your life. Maybe if you've been hurt you can, or you've hurt others, you can ask for forgiveness from those you've hurt. Or maybe if you've been hurt by others, you can begin the journey of forgiving those who've hurt you. But it's a reminder that failure, uh, even if it looks like an event or a state, failure doesn't have to be a person. Your failure does not have to define you. Because the good news of our faith is that God takes things that look hopeless and he brings beauty out of it. I mean, that's the cross. That's the story of the cross. What seemed like failure was God's plan at work. Because the cross shows us God doesn't just magically whisk away our failure. There are real consequences. Just like Abraham, Moses, David, and and everyone else, there had to be some consequences of their failure. There's real judgment. Humanity has rebelled against God. History is marred with the effect of our failure. We call that sin. In, In some sense, in this story, that's the real true big bad. Sin. But like in every good story, when circumstances seemed hopelessly dire, a hero rises up. In our story, our hero's name is Jesus. And on the cross, our hero, he conquered this big bad of sin through the loving sacrifice of his own life. He destroyed sin and, and its henchmen of death and the grave. And our hero saves the day. Because what our story says that even the best of people Even the best among us right here, we can't defeat sin just by being good people. But if we cling to God, we will triumph like Abraham, Moses, David, and so many others. Because these are people who all experience failure to different degrees. But we don't know them that way anymore, right? When we think of Abraham, Moses, and David, we don't think of them as failures, right? We know them as heroes, even if their lives have been forged in fire. And I want to invite you, maybe pertinent on this first day of the year as we move forward, I want to invite you to make that your story as well. The great thing is we can continue to step into that story. Maybe for some of us, though, it's an origin story. This is where we really step into this idea where we've always thought of Christianity as trying to be a good person, trying to hurl, uh, jump that hurdle. Maybe to understand What does it mean that there's a God who knows us and loves us and even our failure, he's given us himself and he says, join me, join my story. Know how much I'm for you. So let me ask you to stand with me. We're going to invite our worship team to come up. And one of the reasons that we do the Lord's Supper, the communion, we dine at the table weekly, regularly, whenever we meet, is to be reminded of our hero. Because we are people prone to go to the things to try to scrub our past, maybe the things that lead us into fear, guilt, and shame, but so that we might know freedom. So I want to invite you, if you follow Jesus during this uh, next song, come up, take one of these elements Bring it back to your seat and wait for everyone so we can take it together as one family, one group. Um, and if, if you are in a place where you're questioning who Jesus is, possibly refrain from the communion. I mean, really, only God knows. But what I would welcome you to do is consider 
that there is a hero. His name is Jesus, and he welcomes you to be part of his story. And the way we enter a story by confessing we needed a hero. And maybe today you can receive communion, and it can be your step to say, I want to follow this Jesus. I want to know him. The radical nature of this crazy story called the Bible of God's rescue plan for a rebellious people. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this time. And God, maybe a lot of us, we are just uh, roaring to hit the new year. We have a lot of goals, a lot of things we want to get done. We have a whole list of resolutions, accomplishments we're looking forward to hitting. But Lord, maybe some of us, we are living in some of the regret of failure. Or maybe no one else would even look at it as failure, but within our heart of hearts, that's what we feel. Maybe in our friendships, in our relationships, maybe in our spirits, maybe in our bodies, maybe in our discipline, maybe in our achievements, whatever it might be, would you help us to know that you're not shaking your head in disappointment, but you're welcoming us. Just like we see these lovely little children enjoying you, Lord, you want us to enjoy you, find our freedom in you. And so we come to you, Lord, with that spirit expectantly. Thank you for Jesus, who's the hero of this story. And he helps us to live the hero's journey by knowing the true hero. So we dine at the table with our king. Thank you, Lord, that you bring hope, not just in the new year, but every single moment. So let's sing. And again, during this time, feel free to come and receive an elements and hold on to it after the song.